Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 159. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to celebrate the exciting opening of a new attraction. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure coming to Epcot, based, of course, on 2007's Ratatouille. 2007? I can't believe this movie came out as long ago as it did. It definitely doesn't feel like that. When you say 2007, that feels like Monsters, Inc. era, which is even earlier. But the film does not feel its age at all. It doesn't feel its age, and I think a lot of that is because it's somehow still relevant, and now they're opening this attraction. Like, this isn't something like Cars, right? Where you've got three films, so you have an entire franchise built on it so you can really take your time to build a major attraction i mean this is a one-off ride i mean i think the fact that all of these years later and they're only just opening the attraction now it's a surprise to me that they waited that long but i think that says a lot about the film well i think with cars it's different because not only is it a trilogy but it's a much much bigger world Mm -hmm. even though this is set in france It's just in a kitchen, really. So I can see where Cars took a lot longer. And once you go and visit Cars Land and see everything that they did with it and how much detail there is and how big it is, obviously that took a long time. There's no reason that this should have taken as long as it did. I mean, I haven't been on the ride, so maybe that's not a fair judgment. I don't know exactly what's involved with the trackless system. However, Disney Paris seemed to pop this one out really quick. Yeah, I think that was probably their test run. That would be my assumption. All right, let's get right into it. We meet Remy, a rat who prefers the finer things in life, thanks in part to his highly effective sense of smell. His father and colony don't agree with Remy's desire to eat uh, food that is good food. Uh, They would rather eat food coming from the trash. They don't understand why he will not go along with this. Remy lives a secret life where he sneaks into a a house and eats the finest foods he can find. He also develops a love for Chef Gusteau, who says anyone can cook. One day, Remy and his brother Emile are discovered in the home while evading the old woman who owns the house. The colony is exposed and forced to escape by boats. While on the run, Remy is separated from the colony and winds up in Paris, speaking to Gusto, who is in fact dead, but is now a figment of Remy's imagination. While exploring, Remy comes across Gusto's former five-star restaurant and decides to stand in the window and watch the kitchen in action. Alfredo Linguini arrives that night. He is the son of a former flame of Gusto's and hands Chef Skinner, who is now running the restaurant, a note from his deceased mother in the hopes of getting a job. He's hired as a garbage boy and immediately causes problems when he knocks over a pot of soup and tries to fix it, but instead he makes it worse. Remy, knowing how to fix it, springs into action and makes a delicious soup as Linguini watches. 
Jones. Skinner is furious when he finds out Linguini tampered with the soup and is intent on firing him until a food critic gives the soup a rave review. Rotisseur Colette is assigned the task of mentoring Linguini, who Skinner expects to be successful in the kitchen again. They discover and capture Remy, who is still in the kitchen, and Skinner tells Linguini to kill him. After they leave the kitchen, Linguini sees that Remy can understand him and realizes that they can work together in the kitchen. The next day, through trial and mostly error, they develop a system where Remy hides under Linguini's hat and pulls his hair to move him as if he were a puppet, giving Remy the chance to cook while using Linguini as a vehicle. Meanwhile, Skinner remains suspicious of Linguini and his recent success. Eventually, Skinner opens the letter that Linguini's mother wrote, and it turns out that uh, Linguini is Gusto's son and is a threat to the Gusto empire that Skinner has built because now Linguini is the rightful heir. Meanwhile, Colette trains Linguini in the kitchen and the two develop an affinity for each other. When customers begin to ask for specials from Linguini, Skinner tries to sabotage him by giving him a sweetbread recipe that Gusteau himself said was a disaster, but Remy's skills are too much to handle, and he is a huge success, as is the dish. After the rush, Skinner tries to unearth the truth of Linguini and Remy, but he continues to fail. Remy, meanwhile, is reunited with Emile and starts to steal food from the kitchen to feed him. He is then reunited with the rest of the colony, but his father doesn't understand why Remy wants to be like a human and remain in the kitchen. He shows Remy a storefront full of rat traps to show him that humans are a threat to rats like him, but Remy refuses to listen. While Gusteau's begins to gain popularity once again, food critic Anton Ego is set on destroying the reputation again, because he is done it in the past, and plans on giving them a harsh review. Meanwhile, Remy comes across Gusto's will in his office, as well as the letter about Linguini. Skinner finds him and tries to capture him, but Remy gets away, gives the letter and the will to Linguini, who is rightfully named the owner of Gusto's. Skinner is also then fired. Remy, meanwhile, continues to steal food from the kitchen to feed the colony, while Linguini and Colette begin a romantic relationship. Skinner, seeking revenge, calls the health inspector to report a rat infestation at Gusto's. After a disagreement, Remy opens the kitchen to the entire colony, but they are discovered by Linguini, who, heartbroken by his broken trust, kicks Remy out of the restaurant. Remy is trapped by Skinner, who is intent on using Remy to rebuild his frozen food empire that he had been building under Gusto's name. Uh, Emil and Remy's father, Django, eventually break Remy free, and he returns to Gusto's to help the fledgling kitchen staff feed Ego a great meal. Upon his return, Linguini tells the staff the truth about Remy, and everyone but Colette leaves him behind. Remy and the colony, along with Colette, run the kitchen while Linguini waits tables. The health inspector, meanwhile, has seen the rats and is intent on reporting them, but the rats capture him and toss him in the walk-in box to stop him and to buy themselves time. They prepare a dish of ratatouille for Ego, which reminds him of his childhood. After the rush ends, they tell Ego everything including the truth about Remy, but despite it all, he writes them a great review. 
In spite of the praise, the health department shuts down Gusto's and Ego loses his reputation. But Remy, Colette, and Linguini, with some financial help from Ego, open a new restaurant, Le Ratatouille Bistro. All right. Uh, where do we begin? <laughs> I think we should start with Pixar, yet again, takes such a simple concept and knocks it out of the park. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a kitchen. It's a kitchen staff. Well, that and yes, it is something that is is very normal and day to day and they just elevate it a million times. But also just the concept of a rat. I mean, if if their idea was to do a movie about a rat, I think there was the potential for this to feel very Bugs Lifey. But instead, they give him this character where he, he doesn't want to eat garbage and he loves food. And, you know, the way that... We would go to a restaurant and and not want to see a rat in the kitchen. It's just such a brilliant juxtaposition. And even though, you know, we were talking about it before, that it takes place in one setting. There's just so much here. Yeah. And, and that's the brilliance of it is the cruel irony of yes. a rat in the kitchen. And I have to say that this film freaked me out the first couple of times I saw it. Because having worked in food and beverage for a better part of my life, this is your nightmare. This is the nightmare. And uh, at first, I could not get past the, I don't care how cute this is, this is disgusting. And I can't get over how nice a story this is because Linguini befriended him. You're bringing a rat into the kitchen. It took, admittedly, it took me a while to get over that. And I am the first person to sit there and go, hey, jerk, you know, suspend reality for a minute and disassociate yourself from reality and your beliefs. But it took me some time to get to this point with this movie. I imagine it would be very hard to suspend your disbelief, especially when every time you begin to think of Remy as more than a rat and you almost forget what he is. His whole family shows up, and then they're in the kitchen. Yeah, when the whole colony shows up. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what it is. You know, you, you do start recognizing him as a chef, but you're right. As soon as you see them, you realize that is not what he is. But let's let's actually get into the plot of the film here. You're introduced to Gusto immediately through a little vignette. It's like one of these things that I think you would have seen on PBS or, you know, and, and I say PBS because this to me does not feel like a show you'd see on Food Network. You know, there was a time where you had like the frugal gourmet that would be on PBS or if you're from New York, WLIW, way before the Food Network and cable TV was even a thing. And that's kind of what this felt like to me. That's exactly what it reminded me of was just a very localized cooking channel. So I love that they started started it this way. It clearly wasn't a big production. And and I love the way that they set up the character, that Gusto is so personable. So it's no wonder that Remy would be so attracted to it. Right, and they like to hammer home the whole time anyone can cook. And they're trying, obviously they want Remy to fall into that category of anyone. So when you meet Remy, I love that you meet him in his escape from this old woman's house. You you know, it, it, so many times in the older Disney films, you would get 
the book opening with the narration, and you would start literally at the very beginning of the story. In this case, Remy has already been cooking. Remy has already been stealing food. And they do backtrack to that, but you do get him diving through the window on the book, evading a shotgun to start the film. And I love that that's how they use that as a jumping off point for that character. Same. Even though you don't know that he's evading a shotgun at that point, it's still such a strong image and a strong introduction. And it's throwing so much at you like, okay, why is a rat even holding a book and why is he running and bursting through a window? It just poses a million questions. So I love that they bring you back up to that moment. And I thought it was a really interesting choice that they went with him narrating because usually, like you said, when you get a narrator, it's a third party if they're doing the book or even it's like a secondary character that's telling the story of someone else. I don't know that we've ever seen a character narrating their own story. I'm trying to... The closest thing I could think off the top of my head is Maleficent. But that's Aurora's telling that story, not Maleficent. Right. And but I'd hardly consider Mo- Aurora to be a secondary character. Right. I'm thinking more of something like, well, it wouldn't be a secondary character. Pooh's Heffalump movie. Mm-hmm. It's called Pooh's Heffalump movie. He is narrating, but it's really it's a movie about Rue's Rue. story. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. I Off the top of my head... I you're right. It, the main character typically is not narrating their own film, certainly not their own introduction. Yeah. And it almost the way that they kept using the narration throughout the rest of it, it almost felt a little like docu reality to me, too, which I think was funny. Yeah. And it, it worked. It definitely worked. It did. Um, I love the fact that they used his sense of smell, not just to yes. explain why he is so into food and why he does sense the greater things in life. But I love the fact that that becomes his job within the colony is sniffing out poison because his father almost eats uh, poison. I think it was cheese or no, it was an an apple apple core. It was an apple core that had poison on it and he sniffed it out. And that kind of became his responsibility. And that also sort of ups the ante when he does get separated because now you've lost probably your most prized possession because these rats don't know whether or not they're eating food or eating poison. It's also a great jumping off point for his relationship with his dad because his dad doesn't like that he's being so picky about the food. And now he's exploiting Remy's talent, Mm -hmm. which they keep bringing back and keep bringing back, not in an overdone way, but it does play a major role in the story later on. Um, yeah, they develop the character so quickly and so well here. Um, just not through the relationship and and him standing out from the rest of his family, but even just when Emil calls him out for walking on his hind legs, Remy says, I don't want to taste everywhere my paws have been. It's such a short little line, but it, it really says so much. And all of them get fleshed out very quickly Yes, within the first five to ten minutes of the movie. Now, I did not know that the father's name was Django until I looked up the voice cast because I knew that I recognized the actor from somewhere. It was mm-hmm. Brian Dennehy. Um, but they never say his father's name in the movie. So, I, I mean, yes, he's, his name is not father, per se. It's not like Swiss Family Robinson where it's mother and father. Oh, Lord. But... <laughs> 
Um, at the same time, I wish someone would have just like referred to him, like somebody not in the family would have just referred to him and we would have gotten his first name at least once. Right, because usually if you don't ever get the first name on screen, it does credit them as mom or dad. Yeah. On like IMDb or in the end credits or something. So that's that's kind of weird that they named him, but it never really came to fruition. They named him, but they never named him. Yes. Right? So it seems like... I'm not going to say it's a lot of effort because you're just giving somebody a name, but if, if you fig- figure if they're going to dignify him with a name, it would have come up at least once, and it never really does. Especially because we do see this whole familial relationship within the colony. When they're escaping, first of all, the little old lady shooting up her home is the most hilarious thing to me. It's an overreact, but it's hysterical with that shotgun. It's fantastic. Um but I love that they have this escape plan in place. Yes. And he's clearly conceptualized this whole thing, meaning Django. So it's not just his sons that are looking to him. It's the whole colony. So, again, why wouldn't they have said his name somewhere in this scene? But I think it's hysterical that they have all of their their floats ready to go and they're, they're disguised and they're covered up. And I feel like this is probably a very forgettable scene, but I feel like it's very powerful. Because we've seen worse cases when a character is separated from their parent. And in this case, the parent doesn't even die. So it's not very sad. But the way that they're showing this escape and they're like, come on, swim. And they're trying to get everybody up on the raft. I just feel like they did such a great job of that, of of creating this suspense. And again, that's where Pixar just does this so well because it's a bunch of rats it's a herd of them that have overtaken this little countryside cottage and now they're all they're they're soaking wet and they're getting in the water and they're going into the sewer system for all intents and purposes this should be disgusting but you're rooting for them because you know you don't want to see anybody lose a family member right and i love the animation in this sewer i think it's outstanding especially when you kind of get into what are supposed to be, as they called them, the rapids. Yes. Um, I thought the animation was great. And I love that Remy rides out on Gusto's Anyone Can Cook cookbook. Because I feel like there's symbolism there that gets overlooked. I feel like people just think he took the book that he liked so that he could have his recipes. Where, if you think about it on the broader spectrum, Anyone Can Cook was always going to be his, his way out. So he literally rides his vehicle out. It's his lifeline. Yeah. Whether intentional or not, because he does accidentally get separated, I think that him riding out on that book is is very much overlooked by the average moviegoer. And what I like about it, too, is that you actually see the page twice in this sequence where they have the whole kitchen staff mapped out and they bring that back later. It could have been such a little throwaway thing, but they do bring it back later when Gusto is quizzing him about what everybody's role is. Yeah. But we actually get to see that, which is an incredible level of detail. Let's talk about him speaking with Gusto. Yeah. I f- okay, well, what do you think about it? Because based on the look I just got from you, I get the feeling that we're going to have two different opinions of this. I, I actually don't like the guardian angel thing. Because, 
of course we know the whole time that this is all in Remy's head and he's got to, he has to find it within himself. And I feel like this is, it's sort of just like a fun little animation bit for kids, which is fine because this, this movie does balance and and appeal to both parents and kids beautifully throughout the whole film. But I feel like this is a weaker point because I feel like they're sort of pandering to the kids in this situation. I would have liked it better if Remy had gotten to France and Gusto kept appearing through video and you actually kept seeing real footage and that's how he was communicating with Remy. And Remy maybe discovered the restaurant more on his own without this push. See, and I love the fact that he speaks to Gusto for a couple of reasons. The first being that if he's not speaking to a member of the colony, he can't speak to anybody. When he tries to speak to Linguini, all Linguini hears are squeaks. And it has to be that way, otherwise the whole movie falls apart if they can communicate. So you need someone that he's going to speak to the entire time. So I think it makes sense that it becomes Gusto because I think back to when, because I almost, I have to look at Remy like an adolescent because he's yes. learning this new skill. And, you know, when you're learning something for the first time, you always have your hero, right? So in his case, his hero was Gusto. And I think about like when I was starting to learn to play hockey when I was a kid, I was always Pierre Turgeon. And every kid who played hockey or basketball or whatever the sport was in their driveway, it was always the clock's running down, you are your favorite athlete, and you pop the goal or knock down the bucket to win your championship, or you hit the walk-off home run to win a World Series is Derek Jeter or you know Manny Ramirez or Nomar Garciaparra. I know and I'm dating myself with these players, but whoever it was that was your favorite player, So, and and then sometimes you would kind of think like, what would this person do? How would this person train? What would they do in this situation? How would they skate? How would they puck handle? How would they blah, 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 blah. I feel like the same thing would be happening if you're in a kitchen. When you're looking up to somebody and you have that idol, you think in your head, I want to do it like them. How would they do it? So I feel like that is how they had to accomplish this while also giving Remy a voice the whole time because, I mean, Remy is talking to himself this entire movie because Gusto is admittedly a figure of his imagination. But if he didn't have it there, he would literally just be talking to himself. I think the fact that they gave him a physical thing to look at and speak to accomplishes the same thing, but makes a better story. I will give you that one because otherwise it would be very hard to distinguish what's being narrated versus what is his inner voice. So I do get where he does need something to bounce off of because he can't talk to Linguini. And... It's also different because this is they are trying to drive home that cooking is such a creative endeavor. So I guess to have that inspiration, it's it's definitely passable. And it was actually my wheels started turning because, like I had said before, he can't talk to Linguini. You, you break down the entire film if you lose that puppet and marionette thing between the two of them. 
Um, but I started thinking back and I don't think anyone in the Pixar universe, any animal can communicate with humans through dialogue. Doesn't happen in Coco. Even in Monsters, Inc., Boo and Sully don't really understand each other. I mean, she says Mike Wazowski. So I think that has more to do with her being a child than there being like a language barrier. But you really don't ever get a communication because it's it's not Disney where the animals talk. Right. There is a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. So I'll give you that one. But the pulley system, the puppet, the marionette thing that they work out, I think is great. Is it far-fetched? Of course it is. But it's comedically, it's very funny. <clears throat> I think the way that Linguini is drawn... I think he lends himself well to the physical comedy that comes with this puppet and puppet master thing. I mean, he's almost a little too clumsy at first, but it works as the movie goes on. But I love that this was their means of developing this. Is it on the nose that his name is Linguini? Yeah, Alfredo a Linguini. little bit. Yeah, but but not just for the cooking element, but because he is like a giant noodle. And that's where Remy has to be in control of him. And I, I love that. And that's one of those things where I'm just sitting there watching this and it's like, heaven forbid they ever do this as a live action. You're going to lose so much of what makes this movie so amazing. Because, I mean, you, you'd have to be brilliant with physical comedy to be able to recreate it. And even still, you're not going to get it perfect. This is just something that animation can do that nothing else can. I don't think they could do this as live action. And and not even so much for that. Think about the last couple that they've done that have been animal-centric. Lady and the Tramp and The Lion King. They were trying to use very accurate depictions. You can make a rat kind of cute in an animated film. If you're using what is supposed to be and it would be mostly cgi of course but you're trying to make it look realistic there's no such thing as a cute rat right and if they're gonna do anything just please honor all of the tiktokers hard work and do the musical disney has given it the nod of approval if you don't know what i'm talking about even if you're not on tiktok you can go and google ratatouille the musical people worked very very hard to compose music for Ratatouille and they got the likes of Wayne Brady and Adam Lambert to do a TikTok musical and and bring this all together and and it's incredible like the for for what it is everybody just poured their heart and soul into it and it's it's amazing and Disney did acknowledge it because i mean these these people got so many tags and so many shares it got to the eyes of the right people and while disney is not a part of it they have given it their stamp of approval so hopefully one day we will see this on broadway well i think that's one of those things that goes viral and it just goes so viral that you can't ignore it it, it becomes impossible to miss it's so good though seriously like when it comes to social media i would say i do 90% of it so Sean's not really on TikTok. You're you're big on Twitter. It yeah. I don't think it made its way over to Twitter as much, but I've I've seen most of it and it's just incredible. You showed me a little part of it and I have to say I was very impressed. 
that this was casual Disney fans that were just making the best use of their time and were trying to do something fun for the community. And they came up with this. And, I mean, for the amazing thing is that Ratatouille is not a musical. There are no musical numbers. So they literally had a blank slate to work with, and they worked with it very well. Like, if anything's going to become a musical, this one works the best. Because we had talked about Soul earlier on this year, and even though there is so much music, and it's, you know, the whole premise is that he's a jazz musician, but it's not a musical. Right. Neither is this, but I feel like this, clearly we now know this can be retrofitted. Yes. So yes, I agree with you. I'd prefer that over a live action reboot. Sorry, tangent, but it's just, it's so, I really am blown away by the work that they did and how into it Wayne Brady and Adam Lambert are. I want to talk about um, the branding here when it comes to Skinner. And oh, how my God. It, it's like Newman's own. They will just slap Gusto's face on everything. I love the fact that this is what they did here because Skinner, I mean, Skinner's not going to sabotage his own restaurant because he wants financial success. But I love the fact that he took this idea that until there's a rightful heir, and I think there was there was a window in which the uh, the will expired and it all went to him anyway. So he was already rolling with Gusto's a likable. I think he said he's a fat, likable face and he's smiling and people like him and that's what I want to roll with and I can put it on everything and he's known worldwide. And so he slaps his face on everything to build this frozen food empire and that's really what's going to set him up over the course of his life more so than one restaurant. I think that's fairly accurate because... This is not a film where you necessarily needed a villain, but you needed an antagonist somewhere. He's the right one, and this is the right motivation. Right. You could argue that the subplot, because there is no villain, the subplot is also Remy's issues with his family, and then he starts stealing, and it becomes a conflict of interest within himself. This is not as much of the B story, but it is hilarious nonetheless. I, I, even though it's such a quick throwaway scene, it's such a great setup that he's turning Gusto's name and everything that he worked for into this gimmicky brand. And this is where I'll give it a pass that Remy is having these illusions of Gusto because when all of the cardboard cutouts start talking to him as all of these Americanized versions of Gusto with the barbecue and the the corn dogs it's absolutely hysterical yes it's also a wildly accurate depiction of a kitchen first off the detail in the kitchen is incredible but I love the fact that Remy speaking with Gusto goes through every staff member and speaks their role out loud because it gets you, the viewer, up to speed with it, you know, because otherwise the casual moviegoer, you know, unless you've worked in a restaurant, you're not going to know what any of these roles are. You're not going to know what any of these people do or how the wheel keeps turning and how if one piece breaks off, somebody else has to work twice as hard to keep the wheel going. And the amount of stress and pressure that goes into a dinner service, like, sorry, if you've never worked in a restaurant, you have no idea how stressful it is. And I feel like this movie puts a spotlight on people, call me bias, that are under... And I did not work in a kitchen per se. I'd expedite, but I was never a cook. 
these people go so underappreciated. I love the fact that this little scene exists in explaining what their role is and how a kitchen operates. And I love how the pressure is put on them in the sense that we hardly spend any time front of house. It's really just for the critics. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that and how accurate you felt the depiction was because what strikes me about this scene every single time is the sound design. Like, I love that they they do break it down and make it easy to understand the roles. And like I said, that comes full circle on this little graphic that you've seen in the book. But every single time I watch this, I am just in awe of how they got that background chatter and everybody's yelling at each other and the clanging of the pots and pans. That organized chaos that is a kitchen, I think they captured that perfectly. And I love later on how Colette breaks down this like ragtag bunch that forms this team because that I feel is really accurate too. Like very few people, unless that you get to that level of executive chef, I feel like a lot of people don't actually go to school for cooking and you do kind of learn it on the fly. A lot of people learn it on the fly. There's always that one person that you know has served time for what you don't know and you're too exactly. afraid to ask. <laughs> if you want to get like if your life goal is to get screamed at by somebody holding a knife, go into a kitchen on any day <laughs> of the week at eight o'clock and you will get screamed at by somebody holding a knife. Um, yeah, it's it is it's funny, but it's accurate and it's also educational. So I this entire thing, I love the fact that they took the, the time to draw all of this out and explain how important every piece of the puzzle is. I also love, over the course of this film, Skinner's obsession with the rat. Yes. Because Skinner starts to think that he's seeing the rat everywhere and that he's going insane. We love it as the viewer because we know that he actually is seeing the rat but every time he does, Linguini is able to hide it just enough so that Skinner thinks he's slowly going insane. And hide it badly. When when we've clearly seen him in one frame and then Skinner comes back and it's like, oh, I dropped my keys. And, and he's seen him under the hat. Yeah, it's a ridiculous obsession. But it does pay off in the end because... Skinner sets it up to trap Remy and removes him from Linguini's biggest night. Yes. And it's such an added conflict when there's already a strain on that relationship because now everything has come to light. Skinner's been kicked out of the restaurant. Linguini knows that he's the rightful heir to Gusto's empire, that he is his son. Uh, and it completely goes to his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we eventually get to that part of the film, you're right. And it becomes so uncharacteristic of Linguini. But at the same time, now he's kind of gotten the girl of his dreams because he's got this romantic relationship going with Colette. So it's it's off-brand for Linguini, but it makes sense for where the character did go to his head because he's getting all that press attention. And he, he went from being the bumbling fool that was the failure to sort of being at the top of his game, even though he didn't really earn it. Right. Um. Let's talk about where Remy starts. You want to talk about something being off-brand for somebody. Remy is slowly reunited with his brother, his father, and the rest of the colony. And at first, it's just with his brother. 
and he starts stealing food from the kitchen. This whole don't steal thing starts even before he gets into Gusto's. Right. It happens earlier in the film where he has one of his first visions of Gusto and he is just hungry and he's going to go eat a piece of bread, which is amazing animation, by the way. The detail on that bread is incredible. Oh my god. Let me just say. Um, he He's going to eat this bread off a countertop in a kitchen and Gusto says, food will come to cooks. You don't have to steal. And then when Remy makes an omelet for um, for Linguini later in the film, he says, where did you get these spices? And he points out that he took them from the old lady's garden. And he was like, well, I'll buy spices. Don't steal. Stealing's bad. So this sort of comes around every, say, 15 or 20 minutes. And you don't realize necessarily that those seeds are being planted. Right. Because now here comes Emil he starts stealing from the kitchen to feed Emil. And then Emil brings more people, even though Remy tells him not to. And he just gets into this slippery slope in the cycle where he's just stealing food and stealing food and stealing food. I think that that mirrors Linguini, where you have both of these characters that are essentially doing the same thing. They're doing something that they ne- that they shouldn't be doing because of their success. Does that make sense? Right, and it... At the same time, it's strengthening their bond. It's also pulling them apart because they're lying to each other, but they still need each other. And that's that's the amazing thing about this film, too, is that, you know, you sort of get lost in those sequences where they're cooking because they're just so beautifully done and they're working in harmony. And then the more the film goes on, they start to divert because Linguini has to be the face of this brand now and... Remy is not only being peer pressured by his family, but Emil keeps coming back with the muscle that's threatening him. So they're put in this position where they are lying to each other and they're still working together. But it's it's just seeing that other side of the coin and what happens when they're not together and they're not in sync and they're not working as a team. Then it completely falls apart. Right. I was surprised now that we've gotten reunited with the family and Remy is explaining to his father that he wants to remain at Gusto's and he wants to remain in the kitchen. I'm surprised that they went there with the rats in the window, with the traps Same. and with the poison. Um, I don't know that if you make that movie today that you necessarily get the visual of the rats in the traps. I think you would get maybe the boxes of poison, um, but... It surprised me that they did it, but I'm glad that they did it because I think the visual is that good. Oh, it's every bit as disgusting as it should be. Uh, I thought it was definitely extreme to include that, but there is a payoff for that little scene because it does sort of set up at the end why they would expose that it's been Remy cooking the entire time because... That's always something that I've I've questioned a little bit, um, especially that they're exposing him to a food critic and and exposing something that's so unbelievable. But Remy does make it a point to say to his father in this scene that he's wrong about humans and and that there are good humans, and you just need to sort of break down the stereotype so 
it does come full circle at the end. It does. And we didn't talk about this before, but while we're on the topic of the imagery of this particular scene, the imagery and the animation throughout this entire film, specifically of Paris as a whole, Paris as a backdrop, it's absolutely stunning. I don't think this film could have taken place anywhere else. Paris is perfect for it. You know, especially the way that the music lends itself as well and the way that it starts in the countryside and moves into the big city. I don't think if you had done this in any other like foodie town, so to speak, I was thinking maybe like a New Orleans or or something that's really known for a very specific cuisine. Um, I, I just don't think it would have served the film well. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Princess and the Frog did it outstanding but i think that paris yes is the perfect backdrop for that you could have done italy if you really wanted to but paris really is known for being such a food city and they do sort of poke fun at themselves because they they talk about being snobby and that's also where uh ego's character yeah and that's where ego's character becomes so weighted too yeah we'll talk about ego in just a moment here I want to talk about the, I call it the sleeping puppet scene. After Linguini spends a night drinking wine with Skinner. As Skinner is trying to get him to admit that he is using the rat somehow. And he te- when, he, when he doesn't get what he wants out of him and he says, okay, you're still the garbage boy, so you have to stay and clean the kitchen. And Remy comes back. This is after he has the interaction with his father and he sees the rat traps. And he goes back to Gusteau's. And I don't know if that he's still half in the bag or if he's hung over or if he's sleeping and just completely passed out. But Linguini will not get up as much as Remy tries to make him. And now Colette comes in to prep herself for the day. So Remy throws a pair of sunglasses on him. And... He is literally unconscious. This is Linguini. And Remy is preparing food. And I love how Colette mistakes him for being standoffish because he's not speaking back. But Remy is trying to have him interact when he has him kick his head to the side and his mouth just kind of drops open and he's got this why are you talking to me look on your face. It's absolutely hysterical. And I love the fact that they are able to... They made an entire scene out of animation because there's no... Other than her asking questions, there is literally zero dialogue here. And I feel that to to create an entire scene and an, an entire story just with action and facial features and through emotion, I I can't stress enough how impressed I am with the animation in this scene. And I know it seems like I'm making much about nothing, but I'm really impressed by it. No, but it's not nothing because there's also a very funny, subtle detail here is that he's been drinking the night before. And and you said you didn't know if he was hungover or sleeping. I think it's a combination of both. So Remy puts sunglasses on so that she won't see his eyes are closed. But that's sort of a tell that Remy's not going to know that when you're hungover, you'll put the sunglasses on so the harsh light doesn't hurt your eyes. Yeah. I love when she when she gets fed up with him and 
she storms out and he wakes up because she slaps him in the face and she goes outside to get on her motorcycle to go home. The label on the motorcycle is a Callahan motorcycle, which is clearly and Pixar does the Pixar's so good with stuff like this. That's a nod to Brian Dennehy, who played oh. the lead. Well, not the lead, but he played Chris Farley's father in Tommy Boy, who has the heart attack and dies. But that's Callahan Motors. I love the fact that they stuck that subtle hint and that subtle tribute in this film. I didn't even catch that. What I also love here and... There's a payoff to this funny scene that we're talking about where it just, you know, Linguini's out of it and and Remy's got to perform his actions for him. He kisses Colette for the first time. I don't know that Linguini would have had the guts to do that on his own. And I think that's another metaphor for his relationship of Remy having to pull all these strings for him. So him being zonked out or drunk or whatever... It definitely pays off in the kiss. Absolutely. You mentioned ego before, and I want to talk about ego now. I love everything about that office. Yes. The skeleton-looking typewriter. I love that they uh, they have a bird's eye view of his office. And it's a coffin. You notice, like, it's almost, in many instances, you could say this is too on the nose. But it works for this horrible, horrible human being of a food critic that is just out there to hurt you. Right. Even the name ego is very on the nose. Okay, ego, a food critic. But when you, you said it before when you were reading the plot, you said feeding ego. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... If and that's that's the brilliance of the screenwriters with the animators and everything else. Like when something is too on the nose like that, for all intents and purposes, this should be really corny and really cheesy, and it should make you roll your eyes. But they pull it off so well that you don't even care that it is that. It it should be very cheesy, and it's just not. No, and I I love his breakdown at the end because it's such a sweet moment when he recalls his childhood. And I feel like it doesn't get enough attention because there's chaos going on. The, you know, Linguini decided to come clean about Remy. The entire staff has walked out, even Colette, but she does come back. Uh, And they, they have no one to pull off this dinner service and egos there eating for the night. So what happens? Remy's family gets it together and they tag in to help him, which I love that scene too, where where he gives them their marching orders and puts them on stations and is directing everyone. It's so great, and then it comes to a screeching halt when Ego tastes that ratatouille, and immediately all of this, like you said, the the coffin and and his demonic nature is stripped away, and he's just a little boy, and and that's also such a great message for the film too is that something so simple as the taste of food can bring you back to your childhood and I feel like that's something that no matter who you are even the most hardened individual can be reminded of their childhood and just completely break down because they're getting so nostalgic and I think that 
you know, there's such a strong message throughout this film about Remy wanting to pursue his dream despite all of the obstacles set in front of them, but which is a relatable message. But this is what also makes it so relatable because I think that that's something that everyone can identify with is is having that trigger that makes you nostalgic. Absolutely. And the other thing that this movie does so well is that it does end realistically because the whole time you're watching this thinking they're going to get their happy ending and their happy ending is they have a successful restaurant, but no health inspector is going to allow a restaurant to remain open after he saw a rat infestation and then was tied up and thrown into a walk-in box by said rats. So I love the fact that they actually go ahead and address this and shut Gusto's down because of the health uh, department. And I love the fact that they even go to a point where Ego's reputation is destroyed because he gave this restaurant that is infested with rats a great review, and yet they still got their happy ending. Right. It's almost like a twist ending because you completely forget about the health inspector and Skinner being thrown into the dry storage. Um, and you, you think it feels like the end of the film. It feels like a happy ending, but reality then slaps you in the face. Yeah. And I love how the film is so perfectly balanced between Remy and what he wants and having this character doing the impossible and reality constantly stepping in. Uh, but I love that that ties together at the end where he becomes the investor, where Ego becomes the investor because mm-hmm. he believes in Colette and Linguini as a team so much. And he also believes in Remy. And I, I think it's just the perfect, it's such a cute ending that they have this little bistro now. The only thing that I wish they would have done, I sort of wish they had tied ego back to the little old lady when he takes that bite of the ratatouille and you flash back to his childhood I sort of wish that it was her son I think that would have just been like a funny little connection it would have been it wasn't necessary but you could have tied it in if you really wanted to Um, I love the fact that you know up on the ceiling behind the plants there's a little restaurant yeah. that's also set up for the rats. It's unsettling to know that there are rats in that restaurant, but it's still funny nonetheless. I love that Remy gets his little staircase so he can look out the window into the dining room, um, even though nobody would want to see a rat peering out of the kitchen into the dining room. I love that they do that for him because they do it for Skinner because Skinner is like three feet tall, so he's got to get on a ladder to look out. I love that they did that for Remy here. It's sort of surprising because, like you said, they at least acknowledge Remy and his family by giving them a place to eat. But it's very high risk because if somebody sees Remy back there, you're going to get shut down all over again. What I also like is that Colette is now the head chef and Remy is or and uh, Linguini rather is is better suited as a waiter. And they've sort of figured out everybody's perfect role. And and Colette has also accepted Remy to help her. Right. All right. Let's start talking about the cast here, starting with Remy, voiced by Patton Oswalt, who is absolutely amazing. 
I think that the character is lovable from the start, and I think that that's, I think that is a a compliment to Patton Oswalt, who has now gone on to be the narrator in the Goldbergs. He's just he's so good at what he does. I would go so far as to say he's almost like the modern day Daniel Stern, because in the eighties, Daniel Stern was voicing over the Wonder Years, and then. I think he voiced over, I believe he did The Sandlot as well. And of course, then he was known for doing Home Alone. And I feel like that's kind of where Patton Oswalt is going now. And he is awesome. Yeah. If you watch the Goldbergs, every single episode, I love the intro. No, he's he's such a talented, I mean, he's a talented actor. I always enjoy Patton Oswalt, but I, I love him more, I think, as a voice actor. I think this was absolutely perfect for him. It's right in the wheelhouse. The only thing, and it's not a knock at Pat Oswalt, because I, I do think that was perfect casting, but I can't say that he's the only one that could have ever done this. I don't know why I keep getting stuck on this idea of I would love to see what Ryan Reynolds would do with this. And maybe you could make the argument that he's too snarky for it, but I think he could balance it. You know, the snarkiness would come through when he speaks to his family because they're constantly trying to stand in his way versus when he's in the kitchen, you know, he's a lot more alive. But I, I would be curious to, to live in a world where that happened. It would be fun, but not necessary. Because I think you're right. I think the snarkiness would be too much for for Remy. I think you'd lose I think you'd lose the charm of the character. Um I I think he would I think he'd certainly pander to the adults a lot more, but I think the all-around loving character I think would otherwise be gone. That is a very good word is yes, that Pat Oswalt brings the charm. Yeah. Lou Romano is the voice of Alfredo Linguini. Um I thought it was interesting that they made him completely italian with an american accent and red um, hair and red hair um yeah he looks curly red hair so he's like irish and scottish but from america and completely italian um but other than that i think they played with him just about as far as they could the physical comedy's great as we pointed out before but i think any more would have been too much and I think I think Lou Romano did a good job with the character, but I feel like he was just he was almost over the top. I mean, he was right there. I love the design of the character. I can put the Italian thing aside. I mean, I have to assume the mother was Italian because we know Gusto was French. Um, but the red hair also does not match up with Gusto. Um. Yeah, I, I I love I had said it before. I love that he's not just named Linguini, but he he does look like his movements are very wiggly and noodle like. Yeah. So I think that works. I don't think the physical comedy went over the top. What I do think went over the top is the high and low of his emotions, because he would just go from like zero to yelling. And I get that when he's panicked, but. There were a lot of times when he was in danger of being found out that he would just get so mad. And I thought that was a little bit uncharacteristic. Um, I think because I keep hearing him, too. 
I I think Jack McBriar maybe would have been better casting and you also wouldn't have gotten the extreme when he gets angry if Jack I think Jack McBriar would have softened it out if there was ever a live action I would think it has to be Jack McBriar yeah I don't know anybody else that could play him um let's talk about Brad Garrett perfection in he that's and that's exactly right he is perfect in this film He's been a voice actor for a long time. Most people know him from Everybody Loves Raymond. Now he, most recently for Disney, had played Eeyore in Christopher Robin. He is absolute perfection in everything that he does. I think that his comedic timing is exceptional. I think he brings the drama when he has to bring the drama. And other than Patton Oswalt, he's probably the most uh, perfect casting in this entire film. Even the French accent should not work as good as it does. Yeah. But he nails it. It's not over the top. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel too satirical either. No, and and they really did kind of have to toe a line here because the whole premise of Gusteau and his backstory is that he dies of a broken heart after he gets the negative review from Ego. This is loosely based on Bernard Lesseau, who was a three-star, a three-Michelin-star chef who ended his own life under the fear that he was going to lose a Michelin star. And he th- that happened like four years before this movie came out, so this character is loosely based on him. Oh, wow. And But, like, he was well-known in Paris. Like, the way we know Emeril Lagasse or Gordon Ramsay, like, that's what this guy's level of popularity was. And, I mean, some of these guys, they become so obsessed with the idea. I'm sort of surprised that Disney and Pixar didn't really face any sort of backlash for that, but that was the inspiration for this character. And the whole time I'm thinking Jacques Cousteau. Right. Yeah, right? That's really interesting. I want to talk about, you mentioned the French accent with Brad Garrett being so spectacular. Somebody nailed it better. Janine Garofalo. Yeah, which is I shocking. I can't believe this is Janine Garofalo. I, I forget every single time that she's in it. And then when you're like, I recognize that voice. Who plays Colette? And you go to look it up. You're shocked that it's her. When you think of mystery men and... I mean, she in the 90s, she's she's like a live action Daria. Like if yeah. they ever do Daria, she might be a little bit too old now, but you have to use Janine Garofalo. Yeah, she was that quirky, offbeat sort of comic that she was kind of doing the awkward thing before um, before Seth Rogen and all those Apatow people were doing the awkward thing. Um, I did not think... I mean, I didn't know this was her at first. I was shocked when I learned that this was her. Um, And I was impressed with her range. I mean, I really was impressed with how she pulled this off. Yes, especially, too, because there's got to be a balance between tough cookie and making her the romantic lead. Um, So she definitely pulls that off, which is not something to me that you think of when you think Janine Garofalo. Um, And what I really like about the character, too, is that she's worked very hard to get her status in the kitchen and and be taken seriously as a female in a male-dominated industry. 
and they cover that, but they really don't get too preachy about it. Yes. She has the one line where she says, how many women do you see in this kitchen? No, just me, and I worked hard to get here. And that was it. It was the one-off. She made her point. And, but she, she is such a tough character. Even when she softens for, you know, to Linguini a little bit, she's still tough. So I feel like they did not need to harp on it that much because right. the once was, was enough. No, I, I love Colette. I think she's a great character. And, and I, think, I, I think it is perfect casting. It's, it's surprising casting, but it works. Ian Holm plays Chef Skinner. Skinner is just funny. He's good comic relief. I love how manic he can be. And I've worked for a chef like this. They exist. They're real. They're in every kitchen. Um, but I, I, I said it before. I love where he was going with the branding and the frozen foods. Um, I'm not going to say it was... I mean, listen, it was good casting. But I feel like the character is what makes him great. Whereas so many of these others like a Janine Garofalo, like a uh, Brad Garrett, like a Patton Oswalt. I feel like they took a great character and put it over the top. Exactly. I think that Skinner is just a very good character. He was going to be funny no matter what because of the way that they drew him. He's got a Napoleonic complex. Mm-hmm. I like Brian Dennehy as Django. I think Brian Dennehy works. And then you have Peter Sohn as Emil. Just funny. Just good comedic relief so he poses a threat to Remy's success but actually come to think of it he's always been Remy's foil because think about it Remy's trying to get him interested in the taste of food and not just picking through garbage so when they're in the little old lady's house Emil is sort of what gets him caught even though he he sort of gets wrapped up in in Gusteau's video um Remy has to help him escape and then Emil leads the little old lady to the colony. And it's a throwaway line, but really they should have just jumped out the window and instead Emil runs back to the ceiling and everybody gets exposed. Then when they're reunited in Paris, he's the one who starts having Remy steal and uses the family as a guilt trip against him. So he's actually been just as much Remy's antagonist as... As Skinner was. Yeah, but not in a villainous sort of no. way. Um, Just in a, a way that creates a very natural conflict and makes the story more interesting. Final thoughts? I'll go first. I am going to do something I have not done in quite some time. Oh, boy. This is the perfect movie. This gets a perfect score from me. There are only a handful of movies that I've ever handed a perfect score to off the top of my head. I think I gave perfect scores to Aladdin, Tangled, and Mary Poppins. I and don't Seagulls, Muppets, I f- Toy Story. I, I, yeah, but I mean, you're talking, you know, well over a hundred episodes of Monoreal Radio. Only a handful that I give a perfect score to. We're at like five percent. Uh, yeah, I. I give this film perfect marks. I I love the score. I love the animation. I think this movie gets better and better every time you see it. I think it tells a complete story. I love the characters. I love everything about this. 
and I cannot find any flaws with it. I mean, it is it is a seamless, perfect film. You're absolutely right. It is so perfectly balanced story-wise, character-wise. This this is one that just fires on all cylinders and I think that shows that he's finally getting his due with the ride and even still I mean I, I think part of the the staying power of this movie kids have always liked Remy I think that's why you started to see him incorporated into food and wine festival a little bit more I don't know that he's ever going to take Figment's place as the mascot for food and wine because at the end of the day, he is a rat and people don't want that association. And I think that that's why kids like him more than adults do, really, because they're hung up on the same issue that you had of separating the rat from the kitchen. But once you put that aside and you do suspend the disbelief and you do just appreciate it for what it is, is this little rat that loves to cook and take even take the rat out of it when you break this down as a story about someone pursuing their dream that is what makes it perfect yeah and we're interested in knowing what you have to say you can let us know on twitter instagram and facebook at monoreal radio you can also email us monoreal radio at gmail.com news of the week is coming up but first a quick break if you're thinking of taking a disney trip this year whether it's walt disney world in florida disneyland in california a disney cruise or olani in hawaii Get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for branding, perhaps print and graphic design or new media kits, Kelly has you covered and Disney content creators are her specialty. Plus, the best thing is, if you are a listener of Monoreal Radio, you do get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that Kelly has to offer at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Okay, we have a Disney veteran stepping aside. Gary Marsh is exiting his position as president and chief creative officer of Disney-branded television at the end of this year, ending a 33-year career, which is amazing to me because when you think about the Disney executives, especially the ones that have been there for a long time, we kind of tend to know who they are. And I'm not trying to sound uh, like, you know, ill-informed, but I, I've never heard of him before. I believe I've heard the name, and I always remember it being confused with Gary Marshall. Yes. And thinking, oh my God, Princess Diaries and all of this television. But, you know, 33 years is so striking because to have that kind of longevity nowadays is just unheard of. But when you think of... 33 years in the context of our lifetime. I mean, that's what it is. This man was responsible for all of the programming that we grew up on. A lot of the Disney Channel stuff, right? And TGIF. I mean, TGIF was basically must-see TV. To think about the amount of shows that he oversaw, things he had his hand on, things that he over, you know, things that he was just somehow creatively involved with. I mean, just like it's hit after hit after hit. And I'm wondering if he was responsible for doing all of those wonderful crossover episodes that we loved so much as kids where your favorite show would go down to the parks. 
They did it in Full House, did it in Boy Meets World, where Corey gets to pang it back. We all loved it. Uh, and Step by Step, those were the best episodes. Now, he's sticking around sort of like in a consulting role where he's going to be helping with programs for children and for young adults and they're also working on two new Descendants movies plus a Beauty and the Beast prequel which we've talked about before and they're doing another Witch Mountain so they're con- they're going to continue to try and squeeze blood out of the Witch Mountain stone why I don't know but hopefully in this next iteration they get it right well probably because they're working with the rock so much i thought 7 bucks had it because he did one of the sequels Right. Well, I guess that's it. If he's collaborating with the producers, you know, somehow he'll be involved. But we know they love him. We know that they love him. You know who else they love? The Muppets. And that's a stone that they will continue to squeeze. And they're doing it this upcoming Halloween with Muppets Haunted Mansion dropping on October 8th on Disney+. Plus. I can't wait. Have you the trailer? Tell me you have seen the trailer. I have seen the trailer. Well, it came out fairly recently. It came out like four days ago. I just watched it finally. Uh, It's fantastic. I mean, out of the gate in these three minutes, I'm already liking what I see more than the Eddie Murphy version simply because they are in the mansion. It looks familiar. The sets and the scenes are what we are used to. And these cameos are out of control. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Will Arnett, Yvette Nicole Brown, Darren Chris, uh, Taraji P. Henson. It's going to be fantastic. I get the feeling that this is a love letter to Disney Parks fans told by the Muppets. It has this House on Haunted Hill thing going on, which I absolutely love. I, I cannot overstate how excited I am that we're getting a Muppet Haunted Mansion this Halloween season. I also really hope that Disney continues, because I'm assuming that they're in on the joke when there's a really terrible movie, they just send in the Muppets to clean it up. Yeah, I would be 100% good if they just kept handing things over to the Muppets if they're trying to make Parks IPs into films. Speaking of the Parks, we got a big surprise this week. Big week. Not one. But two surprise streams for the new Disney fireworks shows. This Wednesday night, 9 o'clock, Disney Parks blog is going to be streaming Harmonious. And then on Thursday at 10.15, they're doing Enchantment. I know a lot of people were very excited to see the first run of each of these shows. And I know it's kind of a hot-button topic right now that they're going to put it out there for everybody to see. But I feel like... That's the best thing for them to do because Friday is Disney 50. It's the official 50th birthday of Walt Disney World. They have the television show coming to ABC. I feel like they would just be trying to cram too much into that weekend. So I actually like that they're doing it this way. And they're kind of giving you as a Disney fan and the viewer the opportunity to sort of ingest all of it in a big lead into Disney 50. And I think it's the fair thing to do, right? Because this has been so highly anticipated and... If they don't give it to us in this format, it's it's going to leak. Harmonious did sort of leak already. Yeah. So I'm glad that they are just not only peeling back the curtain, they're just saying, here you go, you waited long enough. And even I will admit I am happy about this. 
on Thursday, they are starting Enchanted later because they are going to show us the final Happily Ever After. So we can give it a send off. I am excited for that. We want to know if you were excited for that news or perhaps the trailer that we saw this week for Muppet Haunted Mansion. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. Of course, follow us on all of that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to the email, the social media, and anywhere else that you can find the show, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.